passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. I'm my chip, boss, man. I got this, yeah. And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time to listen to Reese and Dan on the Ankle Pick Pod. Welcome back, Ankle Pickers. We're here for our regularly scheduled programming. We had some technical, or not technical difficulties. I would say scheduling. We had scheduling difficulties. So the interview with none other than Jonathan Pierce will get bounced back. And I know he's still excited to come on and debut his fight. With that being said, I don't, does anyone know where Parker is? Is he doing props today? Or is he just busy? Okay. That's usually what we get. Just I'm busy. Yet he still won't edit the videos. Um, we do have Kobe. Busy. Yeah, of course. We have Country Club Kobe here. And then we also got DK Dankwagers Koritz. Yo. We're breaking down Vittori V Costa, which is still live. So let's just start with, I guess we should just start with news and notes because recap, do we ever, we did a small recap, don't have an interview. And now, so yeah, news and notes and and we're going in normal program. So let's hit, let's hit it. Kobe, you're on deck. Let's, let's hear it. Um, Let's run through a contender series from Tuesday real quick. So we had five fights, four contracts. Uh, I can run through the names real quick of your contract getters. We had, first we had a knockout victory for Pedro Falcao, who was bantamweight, did not get a contract. We had a first round knockout from Armin Petrosian, a light heavyweight who did get a contract. Third fight we had, oh, I'm going to botch this name, but Brazilian light heavyweight, Chao Barajo, B-O-R-R-A-L-H-O, who also had a first round knockout was awarded a contract, then got popped by USADA. So, and that that USADA pop happened, I think, two days ago. So he suspended retroactive to when his piss test happened nine months, but does still have a contract in the UFC. That's so that's probably a that's that's probably a little loophole in the system there with contender series. If you get yourself a contract, it's probably worth it. Um. We had a decision victory for Piera Rodriguez, women's strawweight fight, and she did get a contract. Yeah, I mean, let's and, just call a spade a spade. We need we need women's bodies in this UFC. I mean, it is thin, thin to none. And then the or whatever the main event of the Contender Series, Johnny Parsons got a split decision victory that there was some contention over a lot of a lot of 
people probably had Renfro, Solomon Renfro winning that fight. But Dana came out afterwards, said that he scored second and third to Parsons and Parsons ended up getting contract. So Walter Waite, Johnny Parsons, welcome to UFC. Interesting. That's controversy to say the least. I personally missed it. I know, Danny, did you catch it? I don't remember what you said. I did not catch any of it yeah. this week. There you go. And it's a, it's a good program. I'm bummed I didn't catch it, but we'll see. Moving forward, we most likely will. Okay, what else we got? So we had the UFC inform its fighters of kind of some COVID restrictions that are upcoming. I don't remember the exact okay. date on when those start to take effect, but Dana was kind of pressed on it after Contender Series, and he basically said that Fight Island is going to become a thing again. Yeah. I see a lot more of it. It seems like we were going forward, but I know that Dana, out of all people, do not give in. So, hmm, that's that's interesting to say the least. It's so gonna it's be not- it's gonna be tough. We because obviously we've had all these fight nights. You know, three out of every four right. events have been in Vegas at the Apex for the last year almost now, and we're not going to be able to have that international travel without approved vaccinations, and it's approved by. I don't know which governing body it is, but it's an American governing body. So the, the vaccines that they're dishing out and I don't remember exactly what the vaccine's called in Russia, but there's a Russian vaccine that's semi-popular around the rest of Eastern Europe too. And those are not approved vaccines by the governing body that's allowing international travel. So that is going to lead to more fights in Abu Dhabi. So quite, the one question I would have when this when we figure out kind of how this shapes out is, are they going to go with more foreign fighters? And then on top of that, are they going to go for that one o'clock fight card a lot? That will be interesting to see. Because I know one of the things that I've heard in fighter interviews is fighting on Abu, in Abu Dhabi and fighting at 4 a.m. Abu Dhabi time always is weird because no matter what your sleep schedule is like, your natural clock, your Arcadian rhythm or whatever that's called. Circadian rhythm. Circadian rhythm is, you know, it's off. I mean, fighting at 4 a.m., that's got to be a weird feeling. So, I don't know. That's interesting. More, more I'm, I'm on the court of less government. <laughs> Confirm, Reese, less government. Uh, next up, we have a pink slip for Modestus Bukowskis. Ooh. You hate that's the one I did not see coming. Well... I only see it coming from the aspect of what's his recovery time looking like. I mean, he was one who had that, that brutal knee injury. Knee injury. So he's probably looking at two years if he ever comes back. I don't know if there's some sort of reasoning like healthcare wise that Dana would cut him or who the hell knows. But that that one's tough to see. I I feel for him and I hope he gets back to the big stage. But that was one of those knee injuries that you point to and you say this is why that chop kick should be illegal or whatever that front kick but yeah that teep that that john jones uses a ton yeah i don't even know what it's exactly called but it's it's questionable to say the least uh we've got some fight announcements i'm gonna rattle through them for you stop me when you're interested we have andre petrosky tough veteran versus hu yaozong that is next weekend 10 30 this one that me stopping you isn't because of interest it's more stopping you because Andre Petrovsky to me seemed like a guy that defeats the purpose of tough because he lost on tough yet. It seemed like he was always destined to go to the UFC regard irregardless. And that's where tough's kind of changed because 
when it first happened, it was like, this is your only shot to the big show. And that, that those first couple seasons, it's like, if you didn't win, you usually went to the regional circuit. So this one's interesting. Cause it's like, not only did he fight on the show and lose, then he fought on the card with the two of, with the, the only fighter on the entire card to fight with the guys challenging for the, the championship and then he's now and got he fought his- the alternate. He fought the alternate from tough that didn't even get a shot in tough. Ridiculous. And now they're giving him a, a fight before the winners, which I know the winners might be banged up from their last fight out, but like, still, it's just, it almost seems like the UFC likes this guy. They're grooming this guy and that he, he might be one of those guys that they try to put a lot of marketing power behind. Cause this is interesting to say the least. Yeah. And he's got the, the, style to really make some noise at least with that wrestling background and he doesn't seem like he's afraid to get into a scrap and really throw those hands but um i see what you're seeing it definitely seems like they're trying to push this guy more so than really even any of the other guys i mean we look at like brady highstand and uh um who who was the other mitch raposo who fought brian battle Battle won and i feel like they're even trying to market petrosky over him i feel like I'm not even gonna lie. I feel like they're probably quicker to cut a Brian battle than they are uh, Petrovsky, which is just interesting. It just, it feels weird, but I guess we got to see how it plays out. Right. We have two fights announced on the November 13th Holloway Yair Rodriguez card. We have Cynthia Calvillo and KGB Lee. And we Mm -hmm. have Miguel, Miguel Baeza and Chaos Williams. One thing interesting about the uh, Miguel Baeza is a lot of people in his camp have been saying that he's a future champion slash contender. I've been reading report after report. And again, you got to hear the grain of salt because it's his own camp, but I've been hearing report after report that he's a guy to watch out for. And so that one's exciting. I know that you said he's fighting Buckley. No, Chaos Williams. I know that both those guys, um, chaos probably has more of a recognition and, and more fan base behind him. So it's going to be interesting. I can already see that as a potential bet spot. We have clay Guida and Leonardo Santos, 12, four. Another fun one. Clay Guida still out here competing. Props Leonardo in. Santos still out here competing. Yeah. <laughs> 12-18, we have Andre Ewell, Charles Jordan. Yeah. Andre, I mean, I, I I like both of them from a striking standpoint. Like, that'll be fun. It'll be technical. But I don't – neither of these guys are world beaters. We have two fights to announce for January 15th. We're talking 2022. We have Shukagian and Jennifer Maya rematch. Okay. And, and then we have – some ultimate matchmaking, Joaquin Buckley and Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. Violence. That one's, yeah. That one's worth talking about. I'm and trying to UFC, think. go ahead. No, I was just saying, I'm trying to think who it was that was talking about it, but he's in the same gym with Ricardo uh, Hamas, uh, Anthony Rocco Martin, Colby Covington, but he's in the gym. This is what the, this was the comment that I remember taking a lot of note to. They said out of everyone in the gym, they like Miguel Baeza to be a future champion. And it's interesting because Ilya Tapuria is in the same gym. And so that's wow. why I was like, that's interesting, right? Wow. So I'm excited for this fight because 
Baeza just suffered his first loss to Ponzinibbio. I'm curious what they see in Baeza and training that they're so high on him. I don't remember who exactly said it. I'm really trying to remember what the direct quote was. I'm looking through the gym and it's, it was none of his coaches. I don't know. It's gotta be some veteran somewhere, but sorry. I don't want to get bogged down by Donovich on that one. Um, 122 UFC 270. We've got Vivian Araujo and Alexa Grasso. We'll see if that one makes the main card or not. I tend to doubt it, but we'll see. Grasso's one Two, of the better, Grasso's one of the better women strikers we have in the in, entire UFC. I like her a lot, but yeah, no disagreements for me there. 226. We have Ignacio Bahamondes and Rong Zhu. <laughs> Another fun one. Ignacio's on a fun streak of fights as well. Yeah, he is. And then he's fighting right zoo. Oh, I mean, I accidentally went to the wrong one. Wrong zoo. That's it for Biden announcements. We've got kind of things that I can lead us into this week's card with. So that's where we'll go. Um, don't want to jump, put the card before the horse, but we were supposed to have the rematch of Alan Patrick versus Mason Jones this week. Alan Patrick's out of that fight. They did find a fill-in, though, for Mason Jones to fight, and he's fighting David Onama. Now, let me ask you a follow-up question, Mr. News and Notes. Why is Alan Patrick not fighting? Because he had a COVID pullout, I think so. No, it's from what I heard or from what I was reading, it was a just a withdrawal with no reason. I I think he literally was like, I'm going to fight this. I don't want to seem like a pussy. And then a fight this guy again. He's like, fuck this. Like, he got, let's face, let's call Spade a Spade. That was a bad beat for us because we were on Mason Jones hard there at a good line. Mason Jones just dismantled him through two. Absolutely dismantled him through two. Well, we'd be close. Yeah, he didn't want any part of that again. I was shocked when he rebooked a fight because people were saying all over the internet, they're like, oh, yeah, Alan Petrick was looking for a way out. He wasn't that hurt, whatever, whatever, whatever. And it's like, I, he, he didn't want that again. There's, and I don't blame him. I wouldn't want that shit. Absolutely not. Um, last piece that's definitely been dominating the news cycle this week. We've got the Vittori Costa situation that's boiled down to most recently will be fought at 195 catch weight. But we had, they were on what, Okamoto's podcast together in a joint interview. And basically uh, Costa was not really understanding the concept of weighing in is kind of how I took it away and said he was sitting somewhere around 210 plus 48 hours before weigh-ins. So we will see how that one develops. I want to say your guys take away. I want to say something. And this is, I'm very adamant about this too. Costa has, I'm getting pretty sick of him and his antics where you go out there and you throw up an absolute dog shit performance against Izzy. Then came the excuses. Then came the excuses. And now you take a year and a half layoff, reject a lot of fights because you're number two, get a fight you want. And then it doesn't even seem like he even attempted to be close to 85. Like it's one thing if you're at 196 and you're like, look, like I've already dropped some weight. I've been dieting, whatever. It's going to be tough to get there. And you miss it by a pound or two. He, it looks like he literally showed zero effort to try to get there. He basically, I'm not going to do it. And, and it's just a concerning thing for the career of Paulo Costa and let's go Vittori. Yeah. And, and 20% seems like way too little. I mean, we, we seems like we talk about it every week, but there should be 
way stricter penalties for missing weight, especially if it is how you were just saying him not trying. He fully knew, I want to say, I mean, we knew a couple of days ago, but he probably knew a couple of weeks ago. Like I'm not, I'm not making the, I'm not making 185, 186 and a half. There's no way. Yeah. Dan's referring to the 20% purse that coast has given up for making this a catch weight for us. Well, yeah, we talked about it with the, who was bitching about it just last time I told him to come on. Uh, Randy Brown, especially these guys who are missing weight on these prelims, early prelims. I know this one's a little different because Coast is set to make some good money, but Randy Brown's taking a fight with a guy who missed by five pounds, which is a huge advantage, and all he's getting is twenty one hundred bucks. It's that's some shit. I, I I don't know how they're gonna deal with this, but it it seems like. And Dan, I'm curious if you feel this way. It seems like the UFC is being more and more lenient on people missing weight. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely not gotten any stricter, and so well, they even have to, two weeks ago on fight on Tuesday Night Contender Series, they gave a contract to a guy who missed weight. Right? Remember? Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, I guess yeah, I, I've got I've got really nothing to disprove that. It kind of makes me sick. I mean, we talk a lot about how big of the component is of making weight is to the sport, and I mean, it, it even the playing field, it's. Kind of sets the, reason the entire why there are precedent. Divisions. Yeah. What's Multiple up? champions. Oh, yeah, I know. It's crazy. I mean, this is this fight, like, is it even fair for Vittori to slide down the rankings if he loses a fight? At, this is like Vittori. I mean, this is similar to Vittori taking a fight at 205, losing and then dropping down the middleweight rankings. I mean, it really is because right. I mean, and, you're and in between. I'm, in that same vein, if he wins, does that get him any closer to the title shot? I mean, it should because he did a whole training camp and he's fighting at ranked middleweight, but he's not fighting at middleweight. Like, it's got to go both ways. Obviously, if he's I loses, guess. it's bad, but well, follow. I question. take this fight. Follow question. If Costa wins, does it get him closer to being next man up? I don't see how any Because he's at number two right now, so you'd think he would. But, like, if I'm Dana and I see the performance he threw out at Israel – if, if Izzy wins this title bout with Bob Whitaker, or, I mean, Costa fought Whitaker too, right? I think so. It, why would you give him another – or no, he hasn't fought Whitaker. But why – I don't know why – I don't know. I feel like Dana's kind of getting pushed around by Costa a little bit. It's – It really sucks so many the conversation we're, had, we're having ahead of, like, what is the most exciting – or not title fight, but the most exciting main event. Non-title fight. fight. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it, you look at it this way, too. If this fight got scratched, I know Dan said on set the spread, I believe, or we just talked about it just off recording that Kevin Gastelum was set to set, set step in. Yeah, I think Kelvin is um, in Vegas waiting to yeah step in if necessary. Like, if you throw Gastelum in against Satori, I would argue that you have just as bad of a card that you've had the last two weeks. Like – Costa Vittori is like a fine fight and it makes her a fine fight or I mean, Gaslam Vittori, but like, it's not going to move in. It's not going to be division world beating or anything. And then the rest of the car is rather lackluster. I mean, this, this main card, yeah, even though we have 15 fucking fights. Yeah. I, well, let's get right into it. Cause we're going to, sorry. I just, I'm Costa not. Vittori. Yeah. I just, the more I'm seeing that the, this, Month of October, I recently tweeted that picture. I know Kobe saw it. I don't know if Danny saw it, but I, the Kobe saw it the, uh, off the ankle pick account of the guy from Squid Game shaking about these cards from October. October. And then 
I'm hoping 267, 268 stay intact and we actually have a decent fucking fight card because right now we're in shambles and that knocking was not on wood. Yeah. All right. Let's get into it. I'm ready for it. So, Dan, Savid Lazavalishvili, a Georgian born. So, I, I don't know if he's on your prospect list. I know you travel to Georgia frequently, it feels like, to watch mm-hmm. these prospects against Jonathan Martinez, a guy that I really like for a long time now. And the line here is what shocked me. And that's why I'm curious if you have some notes on Lavalish Vili. 140 in favor of Zavid. Jonathan Martinez coming at the underdog at plus 120. And I think that this was um, another one of the cases of Jonathan Martinez. Yeah, Jonathan Martinez was originally scheduled against Aaron Phillips, another mm-hmm. guy from this tough season, um, the Alaskan fighter. But uh, Phillips oh. has an Ill- illness and had to withdraw. Um, so this is a short notice booked, and you've got a gamer in Lazarus Dealey taking it on short notice. He is part of this Georgian invasion. He has to be. But um, I don't know if he's at that same level as the other guys, like Giga and the Maravs and um, Roman Delize and uh, Kutate Ladze, and I can go on. But he is he is part of this Georgian invasion, and, and for good reason. He kind of reminds me of, like, a less polished, more cerebral Marab. He's got that wrestling. His dad was a wrestling coach when he grew up. He's got that cardio. Um he doesn't have nearly the well-roundedness, like none of the hands that Marab has, but he's, he's got that cardio and he's kind of got that in your face. Um, doesn't give you any space at all. No room to breathe mentality or approach to fighting. And that's going to be a problem for Martinez, who, as we know, really fights well from the outside. He's good strike. He's a good striker from both stances. He's got serious calf kicks, um, good takedown defense, good kind of, positioning around the outside good pop at the end of his strikes and um he's he's a guy that has had weight problems in the past so getting down to 135 might be tough for him if this is going to be a 15 minute wrestling match uh at least that's why i think the line's the way it is Mm. where would you have set the line at in favor more of the Georgian or in favor closer to Jonathan Martinez? No, I, I think that the line is in a, is in a pretty good spot. I think that stylistically Martinez is going to have a lot of problems with this wrestle heavy approach from last Philly. I think that it's way different than the, the approach that he had in preparing for Aaron Phillips, who he probably was better than all around. I think he's going to have a lot of trouble. Yeah. And Zaid uh, has fought. So this is his UFC debut, but he fought Ricky Steele, who had a couple fights in the UFC or at least contender series. He beat him in LFA. Was looking through his record um, about two days ago, and saw Magomed Magomedov, but it's a different one. Yeah, not the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not the same. He he beat an O three and O Magomed. So if you see that and you're like, "What? I thought Piotr Jan did it." No, it, it is. And the very last thing about him, and he, he was also a former LFA bantamweight champ. If we're gonna yeah. talk about the guys have had, I mean, this is the Ricky Simone's, Casey Kenny's. Um, I think there's a couple more that I'm just forgetting, but. They've, they've gone on to have some really, yeah. really good careers in the UFC. My only issue with this fight is stylistically, like you mentioned, I don't believe Jonathan Martinez has had to face anybody like Zavida. He, you don't see any crazy wrestlers. I mean, they've matched him up, honestly, o- almost only with strikers other than a 40-year-old Frankie Signs. So it'll be interesting to see how he deals with this and how his takedown defense holds up because as a striker, I would imagine the edge has to go to Jonathan Martinez. That's why this line interested me a little bit. 
Yeah, um, definitely. Nonetheless, I, I could see a spot on the Georgian and put another Georgian on Dank Wager's prospect list. This one probably won't take long. Lavina Souza versus Random Marcos. Random Marcos somehow still in the UFC, even though she is sub 500 at 10, 11, and 1, fighting a 14 and 3 Lavina Souza. And the line is Random Marcos plus 110, Lavia Souza minus 130, which I mean, I, I know Random Marcos has phenomenally, phenomenal wrestling. I know that she has okay top control, but she has dropped five of her last six. And hasn't shown much coming in at under. I don't know what her UFC record is, but I know her pro MMA record is 10 and 11. So her UFC record has to be pretty fucking close to that or below that because, you know, people win on the regional scene. So it's interesting. It just shows the desperation the UFC is in for women fighters. Yeah, I see it pretty similarly. And and this is kind of one of the, situations where I might end up breaking my woman's daughter pass rule. Mm. Random Marcos is that bad for me. Souza actually seems like a skilled future contender and Marcos has just been around and losing forever. Um, Feels like it. She was on like an ultimate fighter season way in the past. Yeah. Oh yeah. And a and couple decent wins like Angela Hill is, is a good one. And the draw with Marina Rodriguez is, is, is decent, but it, for the most part, it's just bad loss after bad loss after bad loss. And I think that, it, as you were saying, she can't out-grapple. She can't out-wrestle her opponent. She's just got no other path to victory. And I think that Souza's just not going to be out-grappled here. She's a, did, did Souza show you anything from the bottom that made you feel confident enough in her jits? Uh, not so much in taping, but on paper, she's got both that judo and the BJJ black belt. There's, I just... I'm, I'm going to be comfortable if, it, if it's a 15-minute grappling match. I'm going to be comfortable if Marcos can never get that takedown and Sousa picks her apart. I think that 130 I, is a pretty generous number. I honestly don't disagree with you at all. I think 130 is an egregious number. Line only opened at 150 for Sousa, so it's actually gone the opposite way. Might be name value. Interesting. That's going to be a line to watch, to say the least. Next fight on the card, Jeff Molina versus Daniel De Silva. 11 and one Brazilian making his UFC debut and Jeff Molina is a contender series vet who has one. Yeah. He's one and oh in the UFC. So this one's kind of a battle of the, the newbies. Is this a last minute change? Let's I, see. I prepared for Daniel Lacerda. So that guy even exists? Like, I, I'm not seeing any withdrawals or anything. I might be saying the name wrong. Daniel De Silva. Daniel Mojo Lacerda. Oh, it's the same guy. Yeah, I was about to say some. A okay. lot of these Brazilians okay. have it. Like you know how Paulo Costa also goes by right. Borchina. Yeah, it might mm-hmm. be one of those things, like a multiple last name. But the line here. So your 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 preparation is good. Jeff Molina is minus one sixty. Daniel Lacerda, same guy, plus one forty. So. And on some lines, you're going to see Lacerda on Tapology and other uh, sites. You're going to see De Silva, but it is the same guy. So don't fret. 25 years old and he's making his UFC debut. So I'm excited to see. Yeah. Um, but he is a guy that as excited as I am for him, he kind of feels like a fringe UFC level talent guy. Yeah. Uh, he has a lot of just brutal, brutal highlight reel finishes against pretty low level talent and on the regional scene. Um, 
He seems to have a ton of power, not afraid to rush forward, albeit kind of recklessly. Um, but Molina is a good flyweight prospect. I think he's got good stand-up. He's got good grappling, trains at a good gym. Gloria MMA, uh, James Carlson in his corner. I expect him to probably have a better game plan, probably have more output, better cardio. Um, but I don't think that it makes any sense for Molina to, to keep it standing um, with a guy like Lacerda who's got all this power and got this history of KOs. I, I think that the best route to victory for Molina is to get this onto the mat and make this a grappling affair. The thing that worries me, though, is I saw the same thing. A lot of a lot of power and, and highlight-style finishes out of Lacerda. But he's also, I mean, obviously fighting out of Brazil. He's got some submission records. Two of his last, I mean, almost all of his fights, when you look down his record, off the re- super, super re- small regional scene, has come via finish. Either a flash knockout in the first round or a sub in the first round. So I'm scared that, not that Molina doesn't have the ability, because like you said, Glory MMA, I mean, Kraus is one of the better, not only coaches, but jiu-jitsu practitioners. So it's like, I don't fear it. I don't have to fear his defensive jiu-jitsu. It's more just, I don't know where the safe spot is for Molina. And that's why personally I'm laying off the 160. That's the only, for me, it's like I'm laying off the 160. Yeah, I think that's a good call. This isn't a spot where I'm super excited about laying my money down, but I'm excited to see how Molina deals with Lacerda's power. It'll be interesting to see how Lacerda looks against a guy who I consider also UFC talent. So, oh, for sure. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see because it's, it's, he's never really had to show it before. Okay, prelim bout at 155, comma worthy versus Jai Herbert, a guy that we all should be familiar with. And Jai Herbert, the line's at 180, I believe, these days. Yeah, 180. But it opened, I believe, at 70. Oh, holy fuck, Nips. Opened at even. 115 for Kama Worthy, 105 for Jai Herbert. Instantly shot up in favor of Jai Herbert, which is the way I see it. It just appears I've missed the value already. Um, I'll, all I want to say on this one, it's going to be a quick touch for me. I do like this one. I do like Jai Herbert here. I, I, I believe I'm going to be betting Jai Herbert here. The thing for me is... Kama came in hot and defeated Devonta Smith, who I know we I lost him a Lord bet for. Wasn't worth it. But he he finished him and was one of the bigger underdogs to ever cash in UFC history. Goes on, beats Luis Pena. No longer in the UFC, legal troubles, whatever. He was losing on the feet to Luis Pena, though, and pulled off a guillotine choke. Got, got stouched by Ottoman Azatar. Got stouched by Jamie Malarkey. And the truth is, I personally don't believe that Kama Worthy is... UFC sharpness. I guess that's the word I want to use sharpness. He shows a lot of inexperience, a lot of, I don't want to say like sharpness is just the best word for it. He's very loopy with his strikes, very hesitant when he, when, if he's in a clinch position and I think Jai Herbert's going to put it on the 35-year-old. I mean, I know Jai Herbert's a smidge over or past 30. I think he's like 32. But he was winning that Trinaldo fight before getting stouched. I know he lost to Moicano, but he took it to the mat, and submission games are scary. But I think because you're com- you see a guy who's 0-2 in the UFC, I think you're getting value on Herbert. I don't know if you still are at 170, but you definitely were at 105. And he's a lot sharper and a lot cleaner than Kama Worthy. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said. 
Um, I, I see Herbert as the better technical striker. He struggles a little bit with great wrestlers, but I'm not sitting here at all worried about Worthy just putting it, put it on him, like putting it on him in terms of wrestling or shooting for takedowns. And Kama's been really chinny. I know they both got those back-to-back losses, but Kama's were both just these absolutely murderous knockouts, and and I don't think that that looks good for him. I, I think he might even see a third here. Yeah, I'm with you too. And I also am with you, or I talked about this on, I believe, Set the Spread, but one of these episodes where one of the things I like to look at is when did they get to their UFC? And when it's guys who aren't getting to the UFC until they're 34, 35, 36, it's because they struggled on the regional scene. And you don't see that with a lot of fighters. And so making his debut at 34, to me, it's it, it's what was he missing before? Because he's been fighting forever. He's been fighting since 2011. It's I just feel like he's not really UFC caliber. And I don't know if that's a cold take or not, but I like Jai Herbert here. Probably will be betting it. I just needed to decide as we get closer to the fight if 170 could be laid. Love it. Um, Loreno Starpoli versus Jamie Pickett. Jamie Pickett's a little bit of a guy who's been hit or miss, to say the least, getting knocked out by Jordan Wright and losing a decision to choke Chukwe. Starpoli on the other side on a three-fight skid, a must-win for him, I would imagine. And the line here is Starpoli minus 230, Jamie Pickett plus 190. And that's not really that surprising to me. Yeah, I'm not so much surprised. They're both coming off multiple losing streaks, but Starpoli's are, in my opinion, a lot more reasonable, explainable than Jamie Pickett's. I mean, Roman Delizze, Tim Means, Muslim Salikov each pose really different different tasks or different puzzles to solve and are all really tough puzzles to solve. Jordan Wright, not the I same know. caliber. Fon and Chuck, we, we talk about being extremely green, extremely beatable, as strong as he is. Um, I think that Starpoli is the much better fighter. The most interesting thing for me here about this one is I think that this is his first time, maybe second or third time, coming up to middleweight from – Hmm. welterweight Walter, yeah starpoli's gonna be a small ish middleweight especially compared to pickett who i cuts a lot of weight to get there but yeah definitely talents the talent side clearly is in favor of starpoli right and i'm not so much worried about the size because i'm not worried about pickett again like similar to common worthy i'm not worried about him spending yeah, those takedowns very- putting on a wrestling like performance i think that that's where Starpoli's hole is. I mean, we saw Delizze just kind of hold on to him for 15 minutes. And even that wasn't easy for Delizze. He was an incredibly talented grappler. I think that Starpoli's going to have no problem with picking. He's going to be a lot faster, put on a much busier pace, uh, especially being the smaller guy and having to cut less weight. But uh, I think that the price is probably too big, but it's probably accurate. Yeah, I'm. that's ex- identical take. Pickett. Very similar to Worthy. That was a great comparison. Lean on their athleticism a little bit, a little less technical. Okay. Tabatha? Tabatha. Tabatha Ricci, I think. I think you're trying way too hard there. Tabatha Ricci. What have we ever said an R for for a Brazilian? I'm going Hichi. Tabatha Hichi versus Marina Oliveira. And the line and Olivier, I believe, is making her UFC debut. I don't know about Hichi. Thank you. No, Tabitha's fought before. Yeah, one time. We saw Tabitha on short notice at yeah, against, the wrong weight against Foirot. That's a tough, tough fucking draw. And the line here is Ricci minus 250. 
Oliviera plus 210. I got nothing, Dan. No, I got some quick notes. Richie's definitely a good sub sub grappler, uh, decent wrestling. I don't think she should be as big of a favorite as she is, even though she did get that crazy um, step up short notice, take Manon for Waro, but then she really was just a punching bag in that fight. I think that Oliveira Maria is is really big for strawweight. I think that she's gonna have a huge uh, a reach, a huge reach advantage, huge strength advantage, huge height advantage. Um, and also probably be the better striker in the octagon, which could give Ricci some trouble if she tries to make this a grappling affair. I think that this is definitely one of the sciences is right. The woman dogger pass. Uh, you either back the debut Maria Oliveira striker, or you stay away from this one because I'm not sold on Ricci yet, but this should be an interesting stylistic matchup. Yeah, I was going to say, when you when you say um, – so, uh, this is like, to me, one of the definitions of the science behind it. Just dogger pass at plus 200, you take it. Also, interesting enough, I don't know if you knew this, Oliviera faced your girl, Marina Rodriguez, on the Contender Series. Right. So, Another crazy tough draw. Tough draw. Yeah. <laughs> Good she, luck getting a contract there. That one. Yeah. She, she just got absolutely ran over. Yeah, it was like a first-round finish. But, I mean, look who you're fighting. Okay. Prelim, Mason Jones. Now, this one... Let's try not to spend too long on Dan because I know me and you, a couple beers, we could talk about these two, or not these two, but Mason Jones for maybe ever. He's fighting David Onama, and Onama's making his UFC debut, and he fights out of Uganda. Oh, he's fighting out of Missouri with with Krause, but he was born in Uganda. I had to double-check it. I've never seen the flag before. Yeah, I think there are a ton of James Krause glory MMA guys on this card. I love that. Mason Jones minus 425, Onama plus 340. That's cool. yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. We've chewed we've chewed listeners' ears off about Mason Jones, so I'm going to focus most of this on Onama. He's supremely green, supremely unproven to me. Yep. Uh, he's an undefeated prospect, obviously out of Glory MMA, as we just said. But he he's taking a page out of his coach James Cross's playbook in this one, taking this fight on short notice. Um, I, we mentioned that Elon Petrique just didn't want that smoke, and so props to him for even attempting this one, but. Um, kind of similarly to what we talked about with Lacerda, this seems like a guy that has a ton of first round finishes against really, really low level, uh, competitions on the, um, on lower promotions. And I'm worried, I'm, I'm worried about his game plan going into this. I, I feel like he's kind of going to rush in recklessly, look for a finish. And this is a guy that. I think he's only been into around three one time in his career fighting Mason Jones, who's just phenomenal. I think that, again, similarly to that Lacerda fight, Mason Jones is probably not going to want to keep this standing. I think that he sees that Onama's only got one possible path to victory, and it's a random catch him on the chin knockout. I mean, easier, way easier said than done. I mean, we saw Mason Jones eat absolutely heavy hands from Mike Davis and just walk right through it, keep fighting. The man's like the juggernaut. But um, I think that it's going to behoove him to make this a grappling affair. And I think that he can. Mason Jones is fucking awesome. Yeah. Mason Jones is just levels ahead of him in the grappling. And Unama, from what I understand, packs a crazy powerful punch. He's a big guy fighting at 155. And I don't think Mason Jones – Mason Jones is just too – there's too many levels 
to Mason Jones to just come in there and try to land a right hook. You know what I mean? And it's just, he's got, what, what, what is he, he's, what is he proficient in? Greco Roman? What, what yeah. I mean, he's got, he's got one of the best resumes in the sport. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. The wrestling, the jujitsu, the Muay Thai, the, I mean, it's, it's the guy's phenomenal. Yeah. He's just so, there's so many levels to him that when you're facing a guy who on paper appears to be one dimensional in Onama, this should be an easy puzzle for Mason Jones to solve. And as long as he doesn't get hit with a brick coming his way, he, he should coast. But, but, but I do urge listeners to stay away from adding him in too many of your parlays because of that one punch potential. Jung Yo Park, uh, one of the better nicknames in the sport of the Iron Turtle, is fighting, and I'm dead serious, is fighting Gregory Rodriguez, 10 and 3 middleweight. I believe he was on the contender series. No. Yes, he was. Lost to Jordan Williams in the first round, but beat Dusko Todorovic. The unanimous decision earlier this year, which is which is a good win in my book. I like Dusko. Little sh- not great defensively, but still a good win. Um, and the line on this one is Rodriguez. Oh, it's dead even. One ten each way across all books on the book we've been going with five dimes. It's one seventeen in favor of Rodriguez. Jung Yong Park plus or minus one hundred three. So it's pretty much dead even. Pick your side. Yeah, I don't have a ton of information on this. Obviously, Rodriguez has that KO power that. The Iron Turtle is going to be wary of. He's um, Rodriguez is also going to be the bigger fighter in the octagon on Saturday. But the thing that I love about the Iron Turtle is that he's just so consistent. He's so yep. tough. He's got a good chin, decent grappler, good cardio. Um, that win over Mark Andre Barrio is yep. really so impressive. I, I lean, I lean Iron Turtle just because I know what I'm getting. Um, but this isn't one where I'm going to the window to put down a mortgage. Yeah, I'm with you. I lean Iron Turtle as well. And I think it's not going to be the most exciting fight to write home about. I don't think you're going to be sitting with the, your, on the edge of your seat. But the Iron Turtle seems to have the ability to grind out these slow, top-control wins against good wrestlers like Burial and big guys like Nchukwi. I, I, I lean Iron Turtle here as well, but I agree. Don't <laughs> I wouldn't uh, drop everything to run to the ticket booth. Okay. Moving on, have we hit main card yet? I believe it's a six-fight main card. I know it's finally yeah. there. Yeah, so that was the prelim um, finale, and let's. I'm going to get you times quick here. So the main card starts at three. You heard that right, central. three p.m. Central, and the prelim start at noon Central. So set your alarms. Um, all right, let's get into the main card then. And so Kobe. Do we have Parker props? Are you taking over Parker props or should Danny and I just hit it? You guys just hit it. Parker needs a week of rest after going over last week. Yeah. Okay. Crazy. So um, Nick Nugurmuranu <laughs> fighting Ike Villanueva on the first card of the main card. And Villanueva has been outspoken. It wasn't necessarily in news and notes, but he's been outspoken about the fact that he realizes that if he loses this, it's probably adios to his UFC dreams. He's one and three so far inside the octagon. So he said this is like game seven for him. He needs to win here. Fighting Nugur Muranu. Risky. Um, the line here is Ike Villanueva plus 190. Nick Muranu minus 230. Thank you, Country Club. Yeah, this one's scary for me 
I mean, honestly, what you just said with Ike treating this like a game seven only makes it more scary. Neither fighter have proven to me that they're actual contenders or could ever be ranked or, or even really worth my time. Obviously, you got Nick being the much better athlete. Ike is just kind of one of those tubby heavyweights, but now he's down at light heavy. And he, he does have really good boxing, um, but that's about it for me. And so, obviously, I think Nick is going to be a little bit more well-rounded, but I'm not excited about playing him at, uh, what is it, minus 210 or even close to there. I'm really not excited about that, and I'm not going to be surprised if Ike just flatlines him. Ike's got some pretty decent boxing, definitely not someone to look past. I just, I don't know. There's a lot of question marks for me. I think that with a lot of heavy leather flying, I know Kobe loves that phrase he coined a long time ago, heavy leather. But yeah. um, it's it's something that, that you got to be wary of when you're throwing around some money and they're throwing around those fists. Yeah, for me, it's it's as simple as this. I I liked the idea behind Nick, but Villanueva, like you said, like I'm not willing to lay that 240 on a guy who's going to go out there and just basically go for broke. It's a pass for me, but I lead Nuger Moranu probably – if I'm going to pick him, 50-50 pick him, I'm landing. If I'm doing daily fantasy, I might be picking him. But I, when it comes to land two, three, four – Hungies, I'm laying off. Next fight on the main card, Dwight Grant versus Francisco Trinaldo, the battle of the old guys. Dan and I broke it down a little bit on set the spread, but we'll maybe put you a step further here. Francisco Trinaldo's line appears to be up a little bit from set the spread. I'm not 100% sure, but he's sitting at minus 132 right now. Dwight Grant on the other side, plus 112. That's a great spot for Trinaldo there, Dan. Yeah, I love seven the spot for Trinaldo. Seven points in the wrong direction, I believe. Going towards uh, Ronaldo. Going towards Ronaldo. Yeah, because Dan and I both two days like ago. Honestly, is it is it too far of a stretch to say, Kobe, that our set the spread listeners push this line? That's where I'm going with. That's the that's the storyline I'm hitting. That's the storyline I'm hitting is the ankle pick set the spread listeners push this line an extra seven cents. Danny and I are still still waiting. We're gonna let you guys continue to push it into the weekend. Dan, Trinaldo, this is a great spot for him. Yeah, I, I truly think so. Obviously, he's a gatekeeper, but he's still closing the door on those prospects, age 43, and he, I think he'll continue to. Obviously, his speed isn't quite the same as what it used to be, but the one thing that hasn't wavered, I don't think, at all is his ability to grapple. And Grant has suspect grappling defense. His striking isn't that sharp either or creative. Um, I honestly, upon my taping, I thought that he had lost that fight um his most recent one the stefan sekulik one and i was actually gonna bring that up honestly i think that he's probably cut if that one judge has it the other way i don't i don't know i think that this is a great opportunity to play a 42 43 year old ronaldo um at a good number he's just more skilled a more cerebral fighter um the big tougher guy the big thing for grant for me is his takedown defense is far from world beating i mean he's very heavy on that front foot, leans far, shoulders over the knees, tries to fight behind his jab because he's very lengthy. Trinaldo's seen guys like him all day long, eats guys like him all day long for breakfast. And he's coming off wins off guys that we've just revered, like Jai Herbert, John Magdessi, Bobby, Bobby Green's a really tough one. He almost and it, beats, um, and it's not like it? Dwight's a gamer. I'm, I mean, it? I was watching a, 
Austin Lingo fight yesterday, a fight that he got hurt really early and then just turned it on and went Hulk mode and, and just kind of came back. It seems like when Dwight gets hurt or when Dwight sees a little bit of adversity, he kind of shells up and is like, damn, I, I lost it. He doesn't have that yeah. second gear, it feels like. And against a guy like Trinaldo that's going to frustrate you and not going to go away, I think that it's going to be a recipe for disaster. One thing that worries me, the only thing, and 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 it's medium, but – when is that tipping point for the young 40 year old? Because like 40 on the earlier side of 40, because you saw it with Jacare Souza, you saw it with a couple other guys. I mean, Yoel Romero, obviously, but all of a sudden it just starts to, but then you see it. We just saw it with Andre Orlovsky where that wasn't the case. So it's, I guess it's teach their own. And Trinaldo's a guy who I feel like always brings it, but also weirdly enough has been dis- disrespected a little bit. Um, with these lines recently, I mean, he was plus one thirty-five against Alexander Hernandez. I, did he lose? Yeah, it, it's almost like it. it's almost like people are confusing Trinaldo with Cowboy Oliveira, and yeah. one of those guys <laughs> is just kind of fighting because they need a paycheck, and Trinaldo is fighting because he's still at the same level as all these elite fighters. Yeah, dead on. Main card. Here's another spot for Dank Wagers: Sungwoo Choi versus Alex Caceres. This was talked about for a potential ankle lock. We found one that we liked a little wee bit better, but Dan's feeling very good about this one and sung, not to open his hand too much. Um, Sung Woo Choi minus 290. So not only who do you like, but how are you going to play it? Plus 245 for the journeyman, Alex Caceres. Alex Caceres. Bruce Leroy. So yeah, I, I love Sung Woo Choi here. I'm comfortable playing it at that 290. I might get a little creative. You can check out my sheet at Dank Wagers on Saturday morning, and I might have a little sprinkle on a decision there. But uh, I... I don't want to take anything away from Alex Caceres, Bruce Leroy, fun fighter to watch. Um, but to me, just isn't that dangerous of a fighter anywhere. Uh, he's got really suspect sub defense and it feels like they almost just matched him up against Chase Hooper just to be like, oh, okay, if you get subbed by this guy that literally has no other path to victory, you're going to be cut. And he keeps rattling off these wins against like, fringe level UFC guys. I mean, Austin Springer, Kevin Kroom, Steven Peterson. I mean, who are these guys? And then on the other side, you got um, Sungwoo Choi, who's a Muay Thai world champion. Like in real life, he's got that title, can walk around and tell everyone in the world and without lying, world champion. I'm confident. I'm confident, confident that he's going to have the better stand-up than Alex Caceres. Uh, he's also taller with a longer reach, so that'll, that'll help him on that path as well. And if, if I'm like an Alex Caceres better and I'm banking on him shooting for takedowns and out grappling Song Wu Choi is probably the weaker, less athletic, more lanky guy. I, I mean, I, I've already lost. Song Wu Choi is, is just going to whoop him, probably chop those legs, uh, get him moving slowly, and then just piece him apart for 15 minutes. Let me go with a quick follow up question your way. Lines 290. Alex Caceres is rather elusive. Are you just going to lay the 290 because, you know, you're that confident there's really no path to victory? Or are you going to try to kind of predict the future and go either decision or by finish? Because finish, obviously, for a guy with his credentials, especially in Muay Thai, seems likely. Because Sarah's is a guy that I think is underratedly tough to put away. Yeah, I, I if, if I'm choosing a method, I'm probably going to go by decision. And like you said, Caceres is, is quick, he's tough. Hard to put away. He hasn't been TKO'd um, since 2015. And, and he's not a guy that really, I mean, 
the opposite of what I was just saying about Davy Grant or Dwight Grant. Yeah. Um, he's the guy that fights out of bad positions. I think Chase Hooper had him in a couple of just fully locked up, laced up subs that he was like, no, dude, I'm not fucking letting you sub me because you're weaker than me and I'm, right. I'm getting the hell out of here. Uh, and, and he's a guy that can do that and can flip that mental switch and just be like, no, I'm, this is a fight. Like, I don't, I don't care. Uh, but I think that he's, it's going to be too much of a task for him to really get any successful moments against Sung Wu Choi. I think Sung Wu Choi is too so big for him, too strong for him. You I lean the decision if I'm going to end up picking a method, uh, come the weekend, but I'm comfortable with that 290 right now. That's what I like to hear. Jessica Rose Clark versus Jocelyn Edwards. This is a spot I liked. I talked a lot about it on set the spread and drilled the line within 10 cents. So I'll kick this one off, Dan. Jessica Rose Clark minus 155. Whoa, Jocelyn Edwards plus 135. There is a little bit of line movement there from set the spread. But I like Jocelyn Good line Edwards. movement. Good line movement. Yeah, I like Jocelyn Edwards a lot here. I broke it down pretty deep on set the spread. So much of it comes down to the fact that I thought this line was going to be unjust when I initially saw it announced. And I was looking for it to be a good spot. Jocelyn Edwards is a big girl. I mean, she's 5'8", 70-inch reach. More technically sound than you would like, than you would, than she gets credit for. A lot of her losses, she has two or three, she has three all of which came from girls who are either in the UFC or were in the UFC, Sarah Alpar, Carol Rosa, who we were revered not that long ago. So I know Jessica Rose Clark's resume is long, and I know she's significantly more popular amongst UFC fans and definitely casual fans, but Big time. I think people are underestimating what Jocelyn Edwards can bring to the table, and getting her at a dog price, I love when it backs the science as well. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I Exactly that. I think that we're getting a little bit of a gift, a little bit of a tax because of Jesse Jess being that fan favorite. I mean, props to her motto. I, I fucking love it. The eat burgers, lift heavy, get thick. Great le- great way to live life. But um, like like you said, I think that people are kind of overlooking Jocelyn Edwards. She's got She's a good striker, real power in her hands. And like you said, she's going to be a lot bigger. I think that she's got good enough takedown defense to frustrate Jess and, and – really make this uglier than Jess wants. And I think playing the dog is always great in a women's scrap. That's my thought exactly. And, and if the line continues going the wrong way, I might add a little more. I already have a play out, but I think that's at like 125. But if it gets, if it's, it's, if it has a four, like a one, four, one, four, five. Ooh, I, that's I'll, spicy. Yeah, I'll probably hit that again. I won't lie to you. Co-main event, Grant Dawson, a guy that I feel like we haven't said his name recently, but definitely a, a higher end prospect. I guess his last fight was March, so not as long as I'm leading on against Rick, the gladiator Glenn, and I'm a big Ricky Glenn guy. Rick Glenn and their fight is, I know Rick Glenn's a big dog. Uh, Rick Glenn plus 335, Grant Dawson minus 420. I'm already going to tell you, I, I broke it down again on set the spread, but Ricky Glenn's the play here. 335 is too high. Ricky Glenn's been a uh, he's one of those guys that we say is like the oldest blank around like how connor's the or aldo's like the oldest 33 year old to ever live ricky glenn's similar he's only 32 years old but you never would guess it i mean he's been fighting for a long time ufc debut in 2016 against evan dunham i i, I'm, I bet some of our listeners might not even be familiar with evan dunham Big fan of Rick Glenn. Destroyed gavin tucker who i have a ton of co- confidence and respect for beat dennis bermudez 
Grant Dawson to me is similar in that line. He might be a little bit more talented, but I'm, I'm excited for this one. I think that Ricky Glenn at 335 is a crazy disservice. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you too much. I Obviously, I'm a Another bit glory higher. Guy, way, Dan. Yeah, ton of ton of glory guys on this card. But obviously, I'm a bit higher on Grant Dawson than you are. I think that he's just the absolute beast, a dominant wrestler, exciting prospect to watch. But like you said, Rick Glenn should just not be overlooked, and this number is really, really big. Gun to my head, I expect Austin to just be the way better grappler and, and be able to out grapple for 15 minutes. But that's not to say that Rick Glenn's not a good wrestler because he is. And he does have serious KO power and he is definitely not anyone to look past. I just don't feel comfortable even throwing Grant Dawson into parlays. I think that Rick Glenn's a gamer. That See, that's my thought exactly. Like, gone to my head, yeah, Grant Dawson probably gets the job done here. But from a betting standpoint, if you're here to simply bet value and only value, the value is all over the yeah, Ricky Glenn. It's hard to get over that 335 or whatever the fuck it is for Ricky Glenn. But we'll yep. see. Grant Dawson's definitely not a guy you want to mess around with. I just think Rick Glenn signed that bot agreement for a reason. I, I, he came off a very quick underdog KO to Silva, was on him there. I feel good. I feel like there's a couple good big dog spots here this week. I don't know. Ricky Glenn kind of feels like a guy to me that similar to like an Alex Morono or like, mm. I mean, to an even to an nth degree, like a um, Cowboy Cerrone and like a um, the gamer. Yeah. Well, the guys that you, you said he took this fight for a reason. I, I'm more so saying that he's a guy that just loves to be out there. Loves That's to fight. Yeah, just absolutely. He's always game to fight. Like he's just ready to go. And that, right. And so I think it was less so that he's got like yeah. a career path trajectory, like, taking this fight for a reason. So I propel myself and more. So he's like, Oh, I, I think that Grant da- Dawson's talented. And I think that I'm fucking talented. And this will be a really fun time. You know, I don't disagree with that logic. I just, you know, that's actually honestly probably what it is, but for a guy that is as technical as Rick Glenn and as experienced as Rick Glenn is, it's interesting to see him at 335 when he's not over that crazy hump of like 38 years old. You know what I mean? Like he's still young. He's still got juice left. Nico Price was the name that was just on the tip of my tongue. Mm, yeah. yeah. Nico but Price, the guys yeah. that the yeah. guys that just love to bang. Like, yeah. Tim Means is another. Yeah, name. exactly. They're all, They're all apparently white too, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Main event. If you're a listener, you've probably already noticed that we have not sound the alarms. This will be the ankle lock of the week. Marvin, my Italian brother in Vittori versus Paolo Costa. Even though this is at a catch weight of 195, and I did place my bet prior to the catch weight being announced, I probably will add more, even though there's a catch weight, if the line comes down a little bit. The line has advanced even farther to 170. It was like 150. It set the spread. I think it opened it. You said Kobe Costa's was the favorite or close. Minus 150. Minus 150. So we're not the only ones agreeing. It seems like there's a lot of sharp action on Vittori as well. And one of the things that I like, Dan, is how unfazed Vittori was by how much Paulo Costa is overweight. Because when guys are this skilled in mixed martial artists, I don't think people really realize how much each pound plays a factor. And yeah, on the scales, they're going to be the same weight. But Vittori's already probably pretty close to 95. He might be at 95. 
I don't uh, know. I mean, maybe, both of these guys are two yeah. of the kind of biggest weight bullies in the sport. I wouldn't be for surprised sure. if they're both pushing 200 on normal middleweight fights when they get into the octagon. For sure. But I know. It opens I, the door for 220. But look, but look, agree that Vittori is probably closer to 195, 200 than he is 210. For sure. Especially mid cut. His body right. is yeah, cut. Right. 100% right. So I'm willing to guess that come fight night, when they step in the octagon that day, Costa will have him by a good 10 pounds would be my guess. Yeah. And so it's interesting to see how confident Vittori is. He's definitely the better mixed martial artist. Definitely has the better gas tank. Definitely more, a a significantly better wrestler. I, I don't really see a path for Vittori to lose unless he gets mauled by Costa with that one straight, right. One more thing though about Boricino. We were talking about this. Other than the beyond lackluster Izzy performance, he had a unanimous decision with Yoel Romero where neither of them threw a single strike. He beat Uriah Hall, who at that point in his career was the least mentally in there I've ever seen and coming off a terrible botched weight cut that caused him a seizure slash heart attack. True story. Look it up. Beat a near retirement Johnny Hendricks. I mean, like, I've yet, I feel like we've yet to see a performance from Costa to signify a number two spot. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think he's kind of one of those figureheads, honestly. Yeah, yeah, mythical. Yeah. And then you look of... on the other side, and it's like Vittori's been active, hasn't taken a year and a half out of the ring. Vittori made weight or was going to make weight. Vittori's been game. Vittori's fought out of Sanya twice. Vittori just fought Kevin Holland this year. Vittori fought Jack Hermanson at the very, very end of last year. Who's a tough fight? He's a top five top eight fighter so i i vittori's beyond game and just seeing how unfazed he was to accept the catchweight bout and is i makes me even that much more confident coming into this fight this weekend and i did find what i was looking for um it was the posted um posted fight night weights for both marvin vittori and paulo this was was um Marvin Vittori on the July 13th UC Vegas card. He weighed in at fight night 211, while Paulo at UFC 241 versus Yoel weighed in at 213, almost 214. So it's pretty similar. No, it is really similar. similar. And the other thing I wanted to add on a sidebar is Costa has been under investigation before because of how much weight he loses and puts back on. They do it by a percentage of body weight basis. And he was one of the craziest where. And I think that he's even not popped for using a steroid, but has been sanctioned by USADA for rehydrating with IVs. For sure. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And a big part of it though, with Costa is like, the big part that I noticed it was one fight night where the commission almost stepped in because he put on 25% of his body weight and it almost became a light heavyweight fighting a middleweight. The guy, I think it was like Eric Spicely or somebody. I don't remember exactly who was the fighting. Johnny like, Hendricks fight. Johnny Hendricks. was just a classic middleweight. He's fighting at 190. And he fighting at 190. And and Paulo's coming in there at 213. It's like, is this even the same weight class? Like, what the fuck? That is crazy. But yeah, it, I mean, it's a, it's an eight lock for a reason, though. And yeah. I'm not worried about the way Vittori's still going to be the better wrestler. Vittori's still going to be the more well-rounded mixed martial artist. And I'm still not worried about Vittori going to sleep. 
as good as I think Paulo Acosta's pressure kicking game is and the way that he can kind of kick to all three levels, it's awesome. I'm just not worried about Marvin going Yeah, but he also got embarrassed by Adesanya at his own game. And I know Adesanya is something different, especially in the striking standpoint. But it's like those front kicks that Adesanya was landing were the nail in the coffin for Costa. And yeah. so that's something that didn't affect Marvin. I know people thought it might have affected Marvin because – Izzy had such great success with that against Costa, but it wasn't the same in, in the Marvin V. Exactly. And the last, last thing I'll say is I still won't be worried 10 minutes into the fight when Costa looks dominant, I will actually turn to live bet Vittori. I agree. And, and I think that that'll be the best value of the night is when Costa wins round one or maybe round one and part of round two, and you get to hammer Vittori like plus 250, plus 37, like – stupid numbers and watch Vittori just actually have a gas tank and dominate the last 15 minutes, probably with like 11 of them top control. Straight up, straight up. That's the sharpest betting advice we've probably ever given on this podcast is throw half of your wager or maybe a little more than half of your wager pre-fight and then hit that live bet at the end of the first or the second, especially when you see Costa huffing and puffing going back to the stool after round two, maybe being a close one, one or up two Oh, because they're still like, having to have like a formal weight cut to get to one ninety five. Yeah. <laughs> to an extent. I mean, it's going to be way easier for Costa to rehydrate now, obviously. I mean, he was never going to make the weight, but like, I, I don't, I don't think it's going to have as big of a factor on energy as people might be thinking it will. I agree, but, but I'm was, excited. I was yeah. writing off Paulo's energy even before this happened. Me too. And he hasn't done anything to prove it's the contrary. And taking a year and a half break isn't going to do anything for him. It's Kobe, or I really don't want to get bogged down, but it's almost like the biggest red flag of all time when we're talking about those excuses after the Adesanya fight. And he's like, oh, I wasn't taking it seriously. Like, yeah. me, big boy, cheetah, drink wine before fight. Dude, you're also not taking this whole camp seriously if you're showing up to fight week 30 pounds overweight. Like, you've shown the fans and the people backing you zero that you've, like, mentally corrected any of the errors that yeah whatever the other thing too that i heard someone and it was a very good point is that was his first loss and to sit with that for a year and a half and i know he's probably come to terms where oh excuse this excuse that excuse this but like regardless he has been sitting with his first career loss for a year and a half and now he's taking a tough opponent in a non-serious camp I, I love saying skinny boy out of sign anymore. This is oh, yeah. strong, strong, crazy man. This is within two pounds, Marvin Vittori. Yep. Toby, what is our ankle lock right now? 30, 21, 11, 20, 20, what? 21 and 11. Okay. No, you're wrong. You've not been tracking. So then <laughs> I promise you. No, cause it was 22 and 11. Cause I said 66%. We hit last week. It was 66%. It was 20 and 20 and 10. No, it's like 23 and 11. You're so that's fake news. What'd you I have thought, last week? You didn't, you didn't agree to one last week. Then two weeks ago. Two You're weeks off. ago. I promise. He hit we it. didn't have one for the lad. Yeah, we did. Card. No, you guys went separately. Danny's was. Uh, no, then Danny lost. wanted somebody. Then we hit last week. Last week was Lad Dumont. Dern Rodriguez. Oh, yeah, we went the week separately before. on Lad Dumont. Okay, who's before Lad Dumont? You're wrong. Dern, Dern Rodriguez. Yeah, and we had Rodriguez, right? No, we had Nicolau. We had Nicolau. Yeah, Pump. we had Matus. We had Matus, and it was 22 and 11. We're going so for 23 was... and 11. 
You guys are right. So it was 21 and 11 after Volk. Then we had Casey O'Neill. And it, Casey O'Neill hit to make 22 and 11. It is 23 and 11. And then That's what I said. Out. I told get out of here. <laughs> oh, my God. I knew it. I was like, bro, we've been on a tear. We haven't missed an ankle lock in forever. 23 and 11. What are you doing to hit me at 21 and 11? Get the fuck out of here. Okay, 23 and 11. Yeah. So we're looking to extend that to 24 and 11. Kobe's, <laughs> Kobe's job. Well, can... Yeah, Kobe's job is going to be under further review. And then Parker hasn't shown up, so his job's under further review. We'll see. <laughs> we might have a shortened ankle pick panel in the next year. Um, 23 and 11 ankle lock. Feel confident in that one going into Vittori. Looking to push that to 24 and 11. Um, okay, boys. So, Kobe, you're not doing the poha for your failure. Uh, Danny, you want to do it? Uh, do the poha? Yeah, the sign-off poha. Sending us into the weekend. I can hit it. I feel like uh, yeah. I feel like I've been hitting it a lot recently. You know, my vocal cords are in uh, really dig down prime down. condition for a nice. Oh, Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.